Our sermon this morning will be coming from a short passage in Matthew 7. We're looking at verses 13 and 14 this morning. I'll read that to you all from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and then we'll jump in and do some study here together, allowing the Spirit to speak to our hearts. Again, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13, Jesus is still teaching His disciples in His Sermon on the Mount. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, as we continue on this journey, watching and hearing your Son describe what it means to be a true follower of Christ, a real Christian, I pray once again that you would strike us at the heart, convict us. Father, I pray that we as Christians who are here, who have claimed to be followers of Christ, would be challenged this morning, I, play, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't claim that, that denies that, that they would hear the choice before them this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be the pastor of this church, to be one who is called to speak the word. I pray that you would bolster me this morning, allow your words to come forth and not my own. So Jesus is beginning to sum up his sermon. He's beginning to end. He's trying to land the plane, as they say. And so he's laid out a lot of guiding principles. And so let's just quickly review. He, he in a sense, has drawn a line around what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, here's what it means. He starts by saying to be a disciple is it means to be blessed already. You're blessed already. Why? Because as you live the life as a disciple, you live by the promises of God, the things He's already done. He then moves into the fact that that we as disciples are called to be separate. Remember, we're salt and we're light. We never become darkness or the food. We we simply act upon those things. We are other than the world. He then moved into His uh, interpretation of the law. He called... His disciples to live the law in a different way than this simple religious piety, right? This measurable piety. That's not what the law is for, to set up this this system of success and failure. Rather, we're, we're called to live as if God is calling us to be perfect. And in that place where we live without that boundary to our holiness, we learn in that place, we exist in that place in God's law, and we experience our relationship with Him. We learn His will. We see what He desires. We learn about His love. We learn about His grace. We learn about what He desires for us. And in that place, in the law, we are actually really changed. We learned several weeks ago how and why we got to do our good works. Last week, we saw how the Gospel, the message of the Gospel, it informs our relationship to God. It informs our relationship with our brothers and sisters in the community of God. It also informs how we interact with the world around us. And so, uh, we've heard all these things. And uh, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, does, he finishes talking about verse 14. And the very first line of the next paragraph, he says, the separation between the community and the world is now complete. (laughs) 
It's, it's done. There is a separation that has been made. God, through Jesus Christ and His Sermon on the Mount, is saying, here's what it means to be a Christian. And it's different than everything else. And so here in the sermon, in verse 13 and 14, beginning here, it's time for decisions to be made. It's time for decisions to be made. When, when people hear this teaching, Jesus is calling them to make a choice. Will you follow me or will you not? So as your pastor, as I approached this sermon series, and I hope this for myself too, what I hope is happening in your lives as you're learning about what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, my prayer is that at this point in the series, you have a pretty good picture of what Jesus desires of His disciples, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and you have a pretty clear picture of what your life looks like. And my prayer is that there's parts and pieces that you see clearly that are out of bounds what God wants for you. Not that I hope you're out of bounds where God wants for you. My hope is that you see change that needs to be made. You see there's challenges. You see the description, what Jesus has said. This is what it means to be a real Christian. And you know now that there are choices to be made. So here in this passage, Jesus is describing two different gates. Two different paths, really. You have the wide gate, the wide path. That is a, 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 a summary of not following Jesus. That's what that is. And you have the narrow gate, the narrow path. That is following Jesus. Now, I know the word choice <laughs> in a Reformed context, people say, whoa, 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 choice, excuse me, sir. But listen, 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 listen to this. Let's, let's tr let's, if you don't trust me, let's go to some people you do trust. John Stott, talking about this passage of Scripture, says there's a lot of differences between the wide and the narrow gate. But he says this, that there's a similarity, the verb enter. This implies that neither crowd is ignorant of the issues. Each has been presented with a choice. There's a choice to be made. Jesus is calling all of us to a choice. Tens of millions of people made choices in the last couple weeks. We all make choices every day. And so, again, J.I. Packer in his systematic theology talking about free will versus sovereignty. We're not going into this at a deep level today. It's not what this passage is about, but it's something that's worth saying. Here's what he says. We are moral agents expressing our authentic selves in our conduct. The ability to make one's own decisions causes us to incur accountability for what we do. So listen, we have a choice to make this morning as free agents. We all make choices every day. And today is a day where Christ is calling us to a choice. To a choice. And as He gives us our two choices, He describes what it means to be a disciple. We have actually three different descriptions of the life of a disciple. And so we're going to go through those this morning. We're going to jump around a little bit, but there's not a lot of text, so hopefully you'll be able to find out where we are at. So, the first description of the life of a disciple from this passage that we get from the words of Jesus Christ is that to, the life of a disciple is exists in a minority position, not a majority position. It's a minority position, not a majority position. So look at the end of verse 13 with me. Jesus is describing the wide gate. And what does He say? Those that enter are many. Those that enter the wide gate are many. 
This word many means a throng. It's a massive group of people. So while there's not a specific number attributed to this word many, we can understand that there will be more that go through the wide gate than go through the narrow gate. It's quantifiable. Most people, most people will see the wide gate, see the narrow gate, and choose the wide one. And so the opposite is true. The narrow gate, he says in the end of verse 14, and those who find it are few. Those who find it are few. This word find means discover, determine its existence. And so there are some who are on the wide path. They may not know it, and they never see the narrow gate. So how is it that people may come to know that there is this other option? It's simple. They're told about it. Think about Romans 10. Paul's encouraging the Romans to share the Gospel. And what does he say? He says, how will they know about Jesus Christ? People will tell them about it. How will people be told about it if no one goes and says it? And how will no one go and say it if we don't send them? It's the same thing. How will people know that there's another choice besides the wide gate? We go and we share the words of Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about choices and what might motivate uh, us to choose either the narrow or the wide gate, I was doing some research and I came across this thing called McClellan's Theory of Motivation. Um, Mark, if I'm wrong about any of this, feel free to talk to me afterwards, okay? Uh, so McClellan's Theory of Motivation came about in the 1960s. He based his findings on Maslow's Theory of Needs, which I believe is a, a study that says, here's what humans basically need. Here's what we desire. And then, and then McClellan, what he did is he took those findings and he said, here's what actually motivates human beings. And he came up with three answers. First, we're motivated by acceptance. We want to be liked. We want to belong to the throng. We want to belong. We want to feel like we're a part of something. Something big. The second motivation is power. Power. Someone just the other day said, why would anyone want to be president? Well, I mean, power. The ability to control and influence others. We all want that in some sense. It's motivating. The third motivator in the human heart is achievement. We want to stack up accomplishments for ourselves. Now, as you think about that, those three things, acceptance, power, and achievement, as we recall the things that Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, we must understand everything He's teaching is an assault on, on general human motivation. It's an assault on these things. Think about it. Let's think about acceptance first. He says in, in Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He goes on to say, listen, the world is going to hate you because they hate me. They hate me. As disciples of Christ, we will never experience widespread acceptance as disciples. Let's think about power, wanting to control and influence others. We as Christians will never be mainstream. We'll never be mainstream. Jesus says in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. We already talked about this. You're the light of the world. Again, light never becomes dark. It only acts upon it. Salt never becomes the food. It only seasons it and arrests the rottenness there. We as disciples are other than the world, always and forever. Again, remember, Jesus is drawing a circle around that community of disciples saying, you're different, you're separate. In his book, 1984, George Orwell says this, 
the further a society drifts from truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. <laughs> I mean, enough said. We'll never be mainstream. We'll never be fully accepted. Also, we'll never live up, as we live our life as disciples, we'll never live up to a worldly standard of achievement. Think about the Beatitudes for a moment. What does Jesus say are the descriptors of a disciple? Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. When the world sees us live like that, they think you're impoverished. How could you, you can't achieve anything like that. He goes on to say, let's just talk about material achievement. And in chapter 6, 19 of Matthew, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We're called to live a radically sacrificial, generous life. Not building up our physical wealth. Not building up all these attributes that the world says, wow, what a guy, what a gal. No, we will never live up to the worldly standard of achievement. On social media this week, this quote was going around a bit. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Carl Truman is a scholar from Westminster, and he said it should be a Christian's natural state to feel that times are out of joint and that we do not truly belong here. That is where we're at. That is what is. If you're honest, things feel really out of joint, do they not? That's, that's, that's okay. That's actually right. Why? We don't belong here. We are here temporarily as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now, wow, Ransom, super encouraging. Listen, th these things are only doom and gloom from a worldly perspective. Think about this. These things are only doom and gloom as we think about our lives from, again, the wide gate perspective, the, the achievement perspective of the world. Think about this. Think about acceptance. Yes, there will be few on this path. It'll feel that way. But remember, we are scattered together. We have the church. One scholar this week said, one day when we get to glory, we'll realize just how many companions we had. We have acceptance Think about power. Sure, the world will not take what we say is true. They hate it. But guess what? We know what's true. We should be satisfied with that. We should be encouraged by that. Let's talk about achievement. <laughs> um, this quote has been really kind of bolstering me up for the last month or so. Uh, it's from Count Zinzendorf. You know the guy. Um, he says this, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I love that. What could we ask more than that to achieve in this life? Think about this. We don't live for glory now. We don't live for achievement now. What do we just learn from Jesus Christ? Don't do anything for others. Do it only for your God in heaven in secret. He will reward you. We wait for something that's better than we can imagine. What glory do we look for? Our own? No, we, we live in joy knowing that whatever we do, we pray it gives glory to God alone. And we live in the peace understanding of understanding that God is on the throne, that we serve King Jesus, just like John prayed about this morning. We could have ended the service right there. Amen and amen. 
And so as we face the wide gate versus the narrow gate, oh my goodness, what would motivate us? The, the Spirit moving into our hearts and changing what we desire. The narrow gate is a wonderful way to go. Will it be popular? Absolutely not. We continue with another good one, all right? The life of a disciple is hard, not easy. Hard, not easy. Look at verse 13, describing the wide gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. Both of these terms are spatial terms to do with the amount of space around you. So the gate, it's, it's very spacious. There's nothing obstructing you going in. In fact, it's enticing. It's like, well, that was pretty easy. We could just go right in there. It's easy to enter, hard to miss. And when it says the way is easy, again, this is a spatial term. It means you have ample space for easy travel. There's, there's not many things moving in your way as obstacles. Now, I was thinking of an illustration for this. The only thing I could come up with is this, and I apologize. There's an episode of Seinfeld. It's an old show where Kramer adopts a portion of highway. And one of the things he does is he gets a bucket of black paint, and it's a four-lane highway. He paints over the lines to make it two giant lanes. And what he says is, uh, it's like flying first class for drivers. It's a two-lane comfort cruise. Okay, that's what he says. It's kind of like that. Now, all that goes wrong, and it's terrible, but this is the idea. There's no congestion. You can swerve your car all over the place. Easy to travel. And then we have the narrow gate. The description here in verse 14 says, the way is hard. Hard here, again, is a spatial term. It means it's cramped. It's kind of oppressive. There's pressure and affliction. Now, now many scholars describe the, the narrow path as kind of a path on top of two kind of cliff sides. So it's very narrow and very dangerous. Another way you can think about this is like going through a cave. Now, I learned something this week, that if you're a professional cave explorer, you call yourself a caver, okay? So you know, don't make yourself look like an idiot in front of professional cave explorers. And, and if you call it spelunking, it's automatically you're an amateur, they know. So if you call it spelunking amateur, caving, you're a pro. So now you guys know that little tidbit from your pastors. But think about this, I'm not claustrophobic per se, but the idea of squirming my way through a dark, unknown cave freaks me out. Like that feels scary to me. You don't know what's next. You don't know if you'll get out. You don't, like squeezing my body just through a space that fits is not attractive to me. But here's, here's the thing. For a disciple, it's not about the path itself. At times, if we find that the way is dark and unknown, it's because we've lost focus on what we ought to focus on. Yes, caves are dark. It's unknown. You don't know where you're going. But it's not about the path for a disciple. It's about following Jesus Christ who's a caver, not a spelunker. He's a pro. He knows where we're going. He knows the way. And so we don't have to worry about how tight the space is. We don't have to worry about where we're going next. We simply follow our Savior. At this moment, I think many of us might be wishing for a third option. <laughs> Man, I'd love easy path with nice things at the back. Right? I'd love to have that two-lane comfort cruise all the way to eternal bliss. But here's the reality. That's not one of the options that Jesus gives us. It's not. There's no third option. It's either wide or it's narrow. It's either many or it's few. It's either easy or it's hard. It's either destruction or it's life. And really, 
we're honest, that's the only choice to consider, the destination. It's either destruction or it's life. And so we get to the third point here, the third descriptor of the life of a disciple. The life of a disciple leads to life, not death. Look at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that what leads to destruction and those that enter by it are many. Is it easy? Sure. Is it popular? You bet. Is the ending any good? No way. Destruction here means the termination of something by causing so much damage it cannot be repaired. At the end of this, there's no return from it. There's no return from whatever this destruction, this death is. And then we see the opposite, the narrow gate. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So the narrow gate, is it hard? Yes. Is it narrow? Uh-huh. Is it traveled by few? Uh-huh. Yes. But what, is, what does it lead to? It leads to life. It leads to life. This word means a place characterized by the full, exuberant liveliness. That's pretty exciting. Now the question is, what are we talking about? What is life and death? What is life and destruction? There's a couple different ways it could go. It could be natural life and natural death. Let's plug that meaning in and see if it makes any sense. The word here for life is zoe. Z-O-E. And at times in Scripture, Zoe refers to natural life. Natural life comes from being born. We all have natural life. And guess what? We all also have natural death. Every single person in here, spoiler alert, our bodies are going to break down and disintegrate and be destroyed. And someday, we will die. Every single one of us. There's no fountain of youth. They looked for it in Florida. Didn't find it. And so this passage, it does not make sense for, for Jesus to be teaching, listen, if you follow me, you will physically live a natural life forever. That's not the meaning here. It must be something else. And the second choice is this spiritual, true life and death. And so again, Zoe in the, in the Scriptures oftentimes, sometimes refers to natural life. In other ways, it refers to this indestructible, eternal life. Zoe, same word but it will not be taken away. And so, in the same vein, if we're talking about eternal life, we're talking about eternal destruction. And so, what happens is, we, we think about, Jesus is talking about heaven or hell. Eternity with God or eternity without God. Eternity restored with Him or an eternity so beyond repair that you never can get away from it. How do we know that this is what He's talking about? If you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been talking about this all along. Look at Matthew 5.22. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother and says, you fool, will be liable of what? Hell of fire. He's talking about Gehenna. It's his word for hell. This is familiar too. He's talking about a sin. And so he says, again, not literally, it is better to lose one of your members that your whole body, than your whole body be thrown into hell. He's saying, listen, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, take it off. Not, again, not literally. He's saying there is no measure of seriousness that we should stop at in ridding sin from our lives. And so we can see that what, what Jesus is describing is this choice. The wide, easy, popular way. The narrow, hard, not popular way. 
One leads to eternal destruction forever. One leads to eternal life forever. Let's talk about destruction for a second. That'll be fun. It's a reality, folks, that destruction, that irreparable state away from God, every single human being has earned that. We've earned that. We were born into it. Romans 5 talks about how through Adam, through our, our first representative, he, he sinned against God. And every human since then, until Jesus Christ, and, and every human after Jesus Christ, Every human has been born into destruction. We're on the wide path already when we're born. Free-flowing to eternal death. And so the fact that Jesus is giving us a choice at all is a miracle. It's unexpected. We shouldn't have a choice. We should walk by the narrow gate and it's like taped off. No, no entry. So we have to ask, where does true indestructible life come from? How do we have this opportunity to have something different than the wide way? And it comes only through Jesus Christ. Well, how can this be? Just because he's around? No, listen, here's the truth. Jesus faced our deserved true destruction so that we could experience and have his true life. He faced that ending for us so that we could have a different choice, a different ending. You can't talk about this and not read Isaiah 53. Listen to what the prophet says about Jesus before he even came. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Praise God. He faced our destruction, our chastisement. He was crushed for you, for me, so that we could be healed. So that we could have life. Real Zoe. Romans 3.23 Great nutshell here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you stop there, you think, oh my goodness, we all deserve the end of the wide path. But listen, and we are, even though we deserve, deserve to fall short, right? even though we deserve destruction, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrificial payment by His blood to be received by faith. True life, indestructible life, eternal life comes through the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So think about Jesus. He's talking to this, this rabbi named Nicodemus in John 3. And he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? How can you be born again? And Jesus is saying, you have this physical life. You're born from your mother. To have true eternal life, you must be born again. How are we born again? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And so as free agents this morning, as free agents who have choices to make, we're called to make a choice this morning. And, and the choice isn't between hard and easy. The choice isn't between minority or majority. The choice 
is between life, true life, eternal life, and, and destruction. And so for Christians this morning, the, the choice is this. Are we going to take this teaching seriously? Are we going to take the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount seriously and allow it to speak into our lives and challenge us where we fall short and allow the grace of God to cause us to fly to Him for forgiveness and repentance and then live our lives out in obedience to Him, our loving Savior? Now, the next several passages, Jesus is going to detail this out. So we're going to spend more time on this for believers But the question this morning is, have you felt the conviction of the Spirit in your life? And are you going to obey it? That's a choice we have to make. But for those of you who are here or listening online, and you're not a Christian, there's certainly a choice that needs to be made. There is only one way to life. We have two choices. There's not a third choice. We can choose the wide easy, popular thing, and we know where that leads. Or we can choose the narrow thing, the thing earned for us by Jesus Christ. And I know some people think, man, it's all about the journey. It's all about the journey. I'll worry about that later when I'm older. But listen, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a very smart man, says this, the man who does not consider his destination is a fool. The man who makes traveling an end in itself is illogical and inconsistent. It's not about the journey. (laughs) It's not. It's really, really about the end. And so the way has been made clear. And in case it's not, listen to the very words of Jesus from John 10. He says this. Let's just make, he's making it very clear. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I came that they may have Zoe. They may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the narrow door. Jesus is the narrow door. It's not a way of life. It's not a self-help thing. It's not a philosophy. It's Jesus Christ himself. Bonhoeffer, again in his book, Cost of Discipleship, says this, He himself is the way. He is the narrow road. He is the gate. The only thing that matters is finding him. So this morning I tell you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There is salvation in no one else and there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Let me pray for us. As fallen and broken people, Lord, we face choices and oftentimes we choose the wrong thing. We choose the wrong thing. We choose sin. Because even as disciples of Christ, our hearts are tainted with sin. But this morning, I ask that you remind those who have committed to following Christ, we're on the narrow path. We follow our Savior. You are gracious. You are forgiving. You do not take away a salvation because it comes from you. It doesn't come from us. We didn't earn it, and so we can't unearn it. It was given as a gift, and it will not be taken away. And in that context of grace and mercy, may we commit our lives to Christ. May we choose obedience 
praise your name for giving us the spirit for us to do so, for changing our desires. Change who we are. Remind us of who you are and who you say we are. We're priceless, as Alex pointed out this morning. Why are we priceless? Because you sent your son to live a perfect life, the life we should have, to die the death that I personally should have died for the things that I have done and will do. And then he rose again, defeating sin, death, and the devil for eternity for me, for all of us who call upon the name of Jesus. And for those, of you, those here who are listening and do not know you, God, call their heart to yourself. Move in with your spirit. Make them alive. Help them to see the narrow gate and to, and to be attracted to it. Thank you for your gospel. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.